You are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. Hello, welcome. It's uh, Tom McGrath from Primal Radio. We're here with Grandmaster Pat O'Malley. <laughs> Pat is my instructor for Rapid Arnis, and we've interviewed him on the show. I think it's show six or seven. Uh, great interview. Guys are welcome to uh, go back and listen to that. This is just a medium-sized show where we're going to talk about Pat getting his Grandmaster badges, so to speak, and also kind of cover... I guess what happened in the Philippines, which which mm. you guys might have listened to on my trip. So, here's a few questions for you, Pat. What is a grandmaster? A geriatric motherfucker. Just means you're old and you've been doing it for too long. It must be a little bit more to it than that, no? Uh, well, yeah, you've got to be of a certain age. Been doing it for extremely long time, and it's just probably just a, a little bit of respect for what the what you've put into it but I don't like using it it's you know it's genetically modified fuck it it's like just call me Pat it's much better some people said it may uh, mean Ginger Minge the GM is that oh yeah correct? yeah Ginger Minge I've got a Ginger Minge well I've, I've not been in the Ginger Minge yet but I am having a good go you never know <laughs> does, does it mean that you might be quite good is there any element of that I think after nearly 40 years I think I'm just about getting the hang of it now yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. now Correct me if I'm wrong, but they offered you this honour um, many years ago and yeah. you've, you've had a lot of resistance against it. Why is that? I don't like people to blow smoke up other people's asses. put that way. <laughs> and like, you know, it's titles, what the hell, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. You know, and uh, I was actually quite shocked to find that a couple of people flew out there and actually asked for certificates of being grandmasters. Why would you ask for that? You know, it's like, I don't, I didn't even want it in the first place. I turned it down before and I was going to turn it down again. It's just that you lot were looking in the room, scowling at me and bought me a fucking walking stick and made me wear a yellow banana suit. Like, I was like bananas in pyjamas. So I couldn't say no. Because so, like, I, I thought it was funny at the time as well. So that was <laughs> going to be another one of my questions. So it's quite weird. So Someone's had this great honour thrust upon them. Um, I think your reaction to it uh, inspired us to buy you this walking stick because you were a bit anti, you know, the ageing thing. And, yeah, there was quite a lot of banter and a lot of stick going your way. It normally goes the other way, doesn't it? But this, this oh, was... Always, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had kind of everyone ganging up on you a little bit for once. Yeah, I'm, unfortunately, I've trained you fuckers too well, you cheeky fuckers. <laughs> you know, but... Yeah, no... It, it's one of those things. Who who likes to admit they're getting old? Who likes to admit they've been doing something for a, an extremely long time? So when they give you something like that, it means you've been doing it far too long and you're far too fucking old. Why the fucking hell are you still doing it? But I don't feel it. I don't feel like I have to sit down to teach, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It does put you amongst quite an elite group. Just looking at all the guys there that they had, uh, the pictures of all, all the GMs, some of the guys that we met and trained with, they they were exceptionally talented. I know you're mainly focused, focused on the age element. But... <laughs> and they're exceptionally old as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do tend to live a long time, you know, so maybe there's a bonus to it, you know. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Uh, 
one thing I learned while I was out there that they'd asked you to stop competing. You, you'd won three titles in a row. Yeah. Um, and there was a scenario where you were kind of ending up fighting your own students. Yeah, quite regularly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Tell yeah. us a bit about that. Um, well, the British guys at the time were quite bloody awesome, you know, and... Uh, and, and that was actually, under your yeah, stewardship. Yeah, you were yeah the coach, I trained quite a lot of them. You know, yeah. I trained like, well, at one point, I think 90% of the British team were my guys. Yeah. And I never hold back, so I train them the best that I can. And I've always trained people to be better than me. Yeah. You know, and I ended up, I, I fought quite a few of them, you know. And one or two beat me, which I took me after them, shook their hand. They say it was lucky. I say, well, yeah, I was having a bad day. It never happened a second time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, they, I, I kicked their ass on the next time around. But, yeah, I think they were getting a bit embarrassed that it was uh, British, British finals and there was instructor-student. They don't sort of like that thing. But it never bothered me whether I won or lost because it was all a game anyway. And those guys that you were coaching, are there any that you're particularly proud of that have gone on to be, you know, great fighters or, or, or big names? Are you still in touch with these guys when you were coaching? Um, a lot of them have done, got off, done different things. I mean, one of the guys I used to coach on a regular basis, he wasn't actually one of my students, he was one of the JKD guys, but I always coached him, I was always in, in his corner, was Neil McLeod. Yeah. You know, I used to be in his corner all the time because he was an awesome little fighter, a good showman. When he first started fighting, he used to lose all the time. And I looked at him and thought, he's a talented little guy. But his whole mental attitude towards it was uh, just wrong. Yeah. And I just pulled him to one side one day. So look, you've got to be a bit of a showman. You're not fighting the fighter, you're fighting the judges. You've got to go out there and make sure the judges are watching you and only you. Because the sport is a game. It's not real. You know, you're playing it. Although you're learning a skill in a limited area, but you're actually honing those skills. Like a boxer. You know, if you, you wouldn't fight Mike Tyson on the street in a street fight because he won't fight by the Queensbury rules either but you can guarantee on the street his boxing skills will knock you the fuck out yeah you know so same with the stick thing you're using it as a training tool and Neil was a talented little fighter so I pulled him one side had a chat with him and then I used to coach him in the corner all the time and the guy was a class act you know he's like I actually remember him fighting in the final in Los Angeles and I was actually coaching someone else and he was panicking because I'd sent a girl over, Donna Ibbert, who was the women's captain of the British team, to corner him while I was cornering the other guy. So she cornered him for the first round. And when I come across, she goes, oh, he's panicking. I said, what's he panicking about? He said, like, oh, he's complaining about this guy's punching him because he's not allowed to punch. And I went, okay. So the round finished. I said, right, come here. I said, what's the matter? He said, this guy keeps punching me. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, fine. I said, lift your helmet up. When I lift his helmet up, I punched him in my mouth. I said, right, so who the fucking hell are you scared of, him or me? He went, <laughs> Uh, it went oosh I went turn around and punch the fucker back yeah and, and with that he won his first world title and he hasn't looked back since he then realised you're playing a game if somebody it's only cheating if the referee spots it and if the guy's cheating with you cheat even worse with him and if the referee spots it you get two warnings before you get a point off so you can have two cracks at the whip and then you can try something else yeah. <laughs> you know so it wasn't cheating it was sportsmanship Going back to like the sort of, I guess, the ceremony element of it. Oh, so they've right, stuck yeah, you yeah. in this yellow suit. This banana suit, yeah, yeah, we've, yeah. We've yeah. given you a walking stick. Uh-huh. Um, I'm wearing a, t- a red T-shirt with genetically modified written on the back of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And then they they asked you for a surprise demo as well that you didn't you didn't know was coming. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But that didn't seem to throw you too much. If you practice enough, you should be confident in what you're doing. And then when you've got a little bitch that you slap around quite a lot, and you can hit really hard, that also helps. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sorry, Cam. You know, but you know you are my bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and it was actually quite funny that like, halfway through the demo. Even SGM Junior turned around and said, I think you've killed this one enough. Can you kill someone else? <laughs> you know, so they, they put him out of it and dragged someone else into the demo. So, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with demos. I, I prefer to do demos off the cuff than practice them because if you practice them and you make a mistake, it all goes pear-shaped. Whereas if you don't practice it and go out and do it, if it all goes wrong, just hit him really fucking hard, he falls over and you win. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... You've not been back there for 10 years? Yeah, roughly. 10 years, yeah, yeah. Um, Marriage, life, divorce, everything got in the way, yeah, yeah. And and this trip, I guess, had some meaning. It was it was the 25-year anniversary of Rapid Arnest, 1993 to 2018. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did it mean to you to be back in the Philippines and see those guys? I didn't realise how much I missed it. And I didn't realise how old we've all fucking got. <laughs> and then I didn't realise how long I've been doing it. Because I, I trained with one of the guys. He said, do you remember me? I said, yeah, I do. He's got no hair now. You know, the yeah. pointy guy. He said, "Is there the last time we met, we were training together for the World Championships, was 24 years ago. And I'm like, fuck, really? It actually only felt like about five or six years ago. Yeah. You know, and I was in my prime then. And I'm thinking, inside this side of my eyeballs, I still look the same. But when I look in the mirror in the morning, I think, who's that old fucker looking at? <laughs> You know, you just don't realise how long you've been doing things. So, yeah, it was a bit of an eye-opener. And it was good to be back on the ground in the extreme heat, wearing some silly banana suit that you can cook in just by standing still, and actually going full tilt in front of people that are shouting and laughing at you in Filipino, even though you don't speak the language, and expect to actually follow everything that's going on. So, yeah, it brought back quite a few good memories. And this was the first time for quite a few quite a few of your instructors certainly a lot of your students like myself to have gone out there yeah, yeah. um what's it mean to you to take all of us out there and just kind of show us it it actually meant it means quite a lot i mean i always say to people look do you have to go to the philippines to be good no of course you don't because there's plenty of good guys here but i'm always surprised as well with people like nothing against there's really good guys in america but there's a lot of people spend a lot of money going to america to go and train Philippine martial arts, why not spend the same amount of money and go there as well? Yeah, go a lot it, further. Yeah. It won't necessarily make you good, but it actually makes you appreciate why they do what they do because you experience the culture, the people, the friendliness, and the enthusiasm they have about keeping this art alive. Mm. I mean, these guys are in their 80s and 90s and they're jumping around like teenagers and they're really excited to show new people what they've got you know so it won't make you better as a martial artist but it'll actually give you a whole different perspective on what philippine martial arts is all about and it isn't just about twirling a stick round. i mean it's about the whole connection the family the friendliness the welcoming and the work rate the work rate is you know astonishing you know if we put in that much work rate you know we'd probably all die of exhaustion yeah in that heat. i mean you've experienced it yourself in that heat yeah. And the work rate they put in, like, you know, they're like, no, that's not hard enough. Do it faster. Do it harder. Do it more. You've got it wrong. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. 
and like they make sure you get it right. That's how enthusiastic they are for you to make sure you go away with something. Yeah. They don't want you going away with any delusions. It's not about the piece of paper, which is why I resist the genetic and more modified stuff. It's about they look at how much effort you put in. If you put the effort in, they keep coming back and they want to train you more and more and more. Because of they look at it as like they're caretakers, they're passing it on to you. If you're just there for a piece of paper, then yeah, you'll get the tourist version. You can go through and make the pretty patterns. But if you're like, I want to keep it simple, I want to make it fast, I want to make it accurate, they'll be at you all the time. And they'll give you a bollocking when you get it wrong. And they'll keep it. You see, they've still done it with me. They made me go at full speed. There's some of my guys thought, fucking hell, I didn't realise you were that fast. I said, I didn't realise I could understand Filipino either. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, so it's, it's just experiencing it in its home turf. Yeah. You know, it's like if you do, if you do JKD, for instance, you've got to go to America to train it because that's where it was born. That's right, yeah. yeah. If you do karate, go to Japan, do Kung Fu, go to China. Yeah. You know, do Philippine martial arts, go there and experience it. Will it make you better? No. Will it make you appreciate it more? Absolutely. How uh, different do you think the experience we got was versus the kind of experience you got? It's a bit more uh, civilised, if you like. They've got street lights now. <laughs> you know, they've got a lot more air conditioning, a lot less guns around. <laughs> yeah. And they're a little bit more uh, laid back and re- They were always laid back and relaxed, but a little bit more laid back and relaxed. A little bit more westernised, which I'm not too keen on. When I always first started going there, it was like the last helicopter out of Saigon. Yeah. You know, so the experience was quite unique. Yeah. And it was quite raw. And I always used to train downtown where it was like rough, you know. And I loved walking around there at three o'clock in the morning. Because to them, I looked like a giant anyway, so I didn't really worry about it. You know, and of course, ginger ale and I'm a nutter, so it doesn't really matter. But yeah, it's... It's changed over the years, and it's nice to see the change because they're progressing. You know, more people are getting a bit more money, which is always good. You know, people yeah. are getting a little bit better style of living. But saying that the poverty is still there, you know, a few people still suffer, but it's not as raw as it used to be. Yeah. You know, I when I first started training, I used to have a constant scar on my hand, a scab on my hand. And it actually, I said one day when I was training with uh, Grandmaster Mumoy, and I said, how do I stop that? He said, move your hand. And it was. I just kept holding my hand still. So he kept hitting me on the hand. And I'm like, that hurts. He went, yeah, of course it's going to hurt. I'm hitting you on the hand. Well, how do I stop it? He said, move your fucking hand. <laughs> and it's simple things like that that you think, why didn't I think of that? Pointing the obvious out. It's right in front of you and you don't realise it. So he just kept hitting you until you move something. And the minute you move it, they go, oh, yeah, that's it. Now you're doing it right. <laughs> and then when you get that bit right, then they hit you somewhere else. <laughs> You know, now they're a little bit more easier on the Westerners, if you like. They they break them in a little bit more gently. Yeah. Whereas when I first started going, it's like, oh, no, if you don't move, then we're going to hit you. And when it really hurts and you don't move, we'll hit you again. And if it's still hurting and you don't move, then you're an idiot. And it will hit you some more. And then hopefully we'll hit some intelligence into you. And then you'll start moving. If you don't move, then you'll probably die and we can bury you in the woods. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, it, it was the the trip was in a some of a pinnacle for myself in mm-hmm. that I got my black belt out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been and a, you were very good at it as well. I must admit you were. Why thank you. No, no, it was. <laughs> I'm I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass. You were like the one guy on the mat that was always smiling. 
Yeah. And yeah. no matter how much pressure we put on you, you kept smiling, you kept your mouth shut, you just got on with it. And don't get me wrong, you fucked some things up. And it was pointed out to you, you're fucking it up, and you kept smiling, and you eventually got it right, and you kept going. And like that's what it's all about. It's not how many times you get put on your ass, it's how many times you get back up with a smile on your face, go, throw it at me again, and yeah. let's see how it goes. That's what being a black belt's all about. And I said you were probably the best one on the mat. And I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass, even though you bought me a pint. <laughs> you know, but I expect a few more pints before I blow smoke up your ass. But I want it on video so everybody can see it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Pat. Thank you. Um, I mean, so, so I've been on this um, this five-year instructor program. I've got um, a bit longer to go because it's up to the uh, first degree black belt, which yeah. is where I'll repeat the process in a year's time. Um, Good luck. <laughs> there's quite a number of us started that program. Only a few yeah. of us have made it to the end. And whilst whilst it doesn't make for great radio for people that I guess who, who don't know all of us, could you whilst keeping it mildly interesting, just give a little uh, talk of how that program has evolved and also the few of us that have made it to this stage, what you've kind of seen in us and, and um, you know, ha- how we've developed and stepped up to the plate. When I first started it, I, even I wasn't sure about it. I was thinking, what the hell am I going to do with these guys? Because I saw a room full of extremely nervous people that, although they were confident in the arts they were doing... They hadn't got a clue what I was going to bring to the table. And when I started off, I said, right, now I'm going to teach you how to walk. And you can see them going like, what the fuck have we got into? We're only learning how to walk. Tomorrow, I'm teaching you how to walk, and that's four years down the line. Yeah. You know, it's like, we started off with something like 15 people, something like that. I was expecting more to draw five. I was expecting one at the end of year five. You know, because I know the attrition rate was going to be high, because... I was not going to cut anything back. Get it right, do it 100%. Interesting. So you knew that from the beginning, that I knew there'd it be from an the beginning, attrition yeah. problem. The attrition problem was going to be there. Yeah. But. Because commercially, I, that makes it. Oh, uh, it's, it's a money viable. loss. Oh, no, it's a money loss. Yeah. You know, it probably cost me money to, to get here now. In the beginning, yeah, I made a little bit of money. Yeah. You know, but now it's probably costing me money. But that's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in with someone that's got that much enthusiasm it makes me enthusiastic to show them what i've got and when they get it th- that puts the biggest smile on my face because i'm like they're finally getting it they get the point that i don't want them to look like me i don't want them to be robots i want them to switch their brain on get what i'm trying to teach you it's a principle i'm trying to teach move that way do this get it right be precise no matter who you're training with no matter if they're lower or higher rank Make sure everything's precise and work rate. Put the work in. Because, you know, it's taken me 30 odd years to become a talent overnight. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, no one sees the effort, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, 35 years to become naturally gifted. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because everybody goes, oh, you've got a natural gift. Yeah, yeah, it's taken me 35 years to get there. You know, because I was the most clumsiest, cack-handed. I'd walk into door frames. I actually talked to... My main old instructor, I mean, there was a guy that first taught me was Peter Dunn, yeah. and his instructor was Bob Breen, and I spent a lot of time training with Bob Breen, I used to do a lot of demos with him, and I, I bumped into him a few years ago, and we were chatting at this big Philippine martial arts festival, he said, Pat, he said, you know what, I've been doing this over 40 years, 
and I've trained thousands of people. He said, in that time, I've met half a dozen people that were naturally gifted, and you weren't one of them. Yeah. And I've looked at him, I think, actually, you're paying me a compliment. He went, yeah, yeah. He said, because you proved that hard work pays off. Naturally gifted, they come and go. But people that work hard, and I was one of the most ungifted people around, but I was that stubborn, I was going to, I'm getting this right, I'm going to get it right. And because I worked that hard to get in it, it took me that long to get just one technique right. It's now ingrained in my brain how that is done correctly, how it's done precisely, and how it works efficiently and effectively. Yeah. Yeah, because I've had to fight all the way to the top. And I expect everybody that trains me to do exactly the same. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to cut corners, it's not going to work. You always hear this like, oh, train smart, not hard. Bollocks. Train smart and hard. So if you train hard and you train smart at the same time, you become much better than someone that trains smart and not hard, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, so you put the work rate in, it pays off the results. It's like anything in life. You know, it's like Bill Gates. Why is he a multimillionaire? Because he worked hard at it. It wasn't that he was naturally gifted. He worked hard at what he wanted. Mm. Same with martial arts. Why do you become really good? What's the difference between a white belt and grandmaster? The grandmaster stuck with it. He's made more mistakes than have got anything yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. But he's kept coming back and keep working yeah. and working and working. I'm only better than other people because I've been doing it longer and working harder. When everybody else was turning up to the gym, training two hours a session, twice a week, I was there six hours, six days a week. And on my day off, I was thinking about it. I can still remember me doing six count, for instance, and I could. this took me six months just to get six count. I can teach it in five minutes. It took me six months to get it. I can remember sitting on the toilet, having a dump, thinking, how the fuck do I do this? And my ex is knocking on the door. Wait, are you coming out of that toilet? I'm bursting my neck. Oh, I'm still trying to get this. I'm pushing I'm pushing the babies out. You know, <laughs> but I was, I'm trying to get sick count. Yeah. And because I couldn't get it, the more I could get it, the more I wanted to get it, the more frustrated it made me do. Do you think you're a bit OCD? Oh, no, not a bit. I'm completely OCD. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. If I put my hand into something, I have to get it 100% right. Otherwise, what's the point? Why are you doing it? Yeah. Why are you doing anything half-hearted? Because all you're doing is badge collecting. You're pissing about. You're pretending to be something you're not. Do it or don't do it. It's that simple. I think Jim McCann called it. He said it, he's CDO. It's so bad. He needs to put it in an alphabetical order. <laughs> <laughs> but six six hours a day. That, most people don't want to do that level of commitment. And, and oh, no, of course not. And, and, and do, do do you think? I, I know due to like relationships you're in and stuff like that. You visited the Philippines a lot, but do you think? you would have always had the passion for it regardless of, of... Do you think opportunity has pushed you towards FMA? Circumstances have pushed me towards it. It was an accidental conversation in a pub, talking about fighting. You know, and my first instructor, Peter Dunn, was like, oh, yeah, well, I'll do martial arts. I'm like, oh, fuck it, martial arts, that's for pussies, isn't it? Yeah. You, know, you can't beat a good fucking baseball bat and a pair of fists and a bit of boxing. Yeah. And we went for a sparring, he probably to kick the shit out of me. And he pulled the weapons out, and I'm like, oh, result, weapons as well. I was in gangs. I was a naughty little bastard. Yeah. I was that horrible little fucking ginger kid that would throw lumps of shit at you because it was funny. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Always getting into fights. And I thought, I do. I can learn how to kick people with a bit of class. I didn't even know when I was doing Jeet Kune Do that was Bruce Lee's art. 
martial art for six months. Yeah. I didn't even know he taught martial arts. I thought he was a movie star. I was a similar oh. story. I, I, I like Bruce Lee. Just sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but um, I knew Bruce Lee was, but I, I like Jeet Kune Do for the fighting. I like for the, for the fact that he was scientific. And through learning the art, I've come to respect Bruce Lee. Mm. But I, I, I haven't got a lot of time for these sort of Star Trek oh, kind yeah. of guys. Who I were... joined the club because it was the toughest club in the area. Yeah. I heard all the guys there were fucking tough boys, fighters. They all scrapped. Bob Breen done boxing, wrestling, judo, even before he done JKD and all that sort of stuff. The club had a reputation of being really tough. And I wanted to learn how to kick the fuck out of people. I didn't do it because of, oh, I've done it because of Bruce Lee, or I wanted inner peace and all that shit. I'd done it because I wanted to hurt people. Because that's the the environment I was brought up in. We were brought up fighting. Yeah. You know, brought up with gangs and shit, and like, fighting was a way of life. You either done it or you get stabbed or you get run over. You know, it's like, sort of like, oh, ideal way to do it. But because I've done it, it pulled me away from that stuff. And yes, I would have always been pushed towards it. Regardless, I've, I've had three marriages. Yeah. And I still do it. And I know for a fact at least two of them have gone by the wayside because of what I've done. Because I've got more, I had more of a passion for that than I did for them. <laughs> you know, it's, I was always going to do it. Another question for you. I mean, you grew up with fighting. You grew up, it's quite, you know, quite rough. Glasgow. Govan in Glasgow, you know, yeah, and then, yeah. And then down in Hackney when Hackney yeah. wasn't wasn't full of hipsters where yeah, I live there yeah. now. But anyway. I mean, they talk about London. Oh, yes, London knife crime. It's really bad. There was 195 knife thefts last year. When I was a kid, there was on average 450, 500 a year. It just didn't get reported. Yeah. It wasn't. And I... I was naked if I didn't have five or six knives on me as a kid. You know, and I'm not talking tiny little pen knives. I'm talking I'd have a machete down one leg. I'd have a fucking Bowie knife in my pocket. I'd have razor blades. Potatoes were raising them. Razor blades in my collars, on my hat. You know, I was tooled up to the teeth. Peaky blinders. <laughs> it was it was considered normal. And until I actually moved away from that area, I didn't realise how fucked up it was. Yeah. You know, it's like... So you left Glasgow and you came to Acne in the in Yeah, the out of the frying pan, into the fire. Yeah. Red-headed to... little kid with a Scottish accent. I was the fucking ethnic minority, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that, that Bob Bream Academy and it comes, it comes up a lot because it, it really was the place to be in those days. And if, if I think of your Bill Gates analogy earlier on, they were talking about in a, in a book called Outliers about how he developed... Um, Yes, he took opportunity when they came his way, but he happened to be at a time, all the top sort of like millionaire uh, IT people were all born around the same time. Yeah. And he had access to this local university where you could go and use the computers 24 hours a day. So he got programming at a really young age. Mm. You got fighting at Bob Breams Academy and, and on the street at a young age. But, yeah. So I think opportunity and circumstance did find you and... Another point to make well, before I start waffling. Do you think and you're good at waffling? Yeah, do, yeah, 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 yeah. Fuck it, now. That's why I've got. That's why I'm on the radio. Um, yeah, that's why you got a pink shirt. You got a fucking face for radio, isn't it? <laughs> but I mean, can someone become a fight fight if they're not that way? Like I've always can't. I've all, I feel I'm that way, and I probably always was. And all right, I might not have been good at it, but there was something in me. It might might be the Irish. You you are that guy. Can you can you? make someone who's not a fighter a fighter i had no choice that was the environment i was brought up in 
Mm. As a kid, to me, it was normal. You know, I mean, in Glasgow, people think about gang fights, for instance. And they think, oh, 10, 20 guys on each side. I was in gangs with 200 strong. Yeah. Fighting another gang that's two, 300 strong. Where even the police are sitting back going, fuck that, we're not getting involved with it. Because we were out there with swords, machetes, fucking bricks, bats, dogs. Yeah. We had battle plans. That was a normal environment for me, me being brought up. Yeah. So to say it was always there, yes, it was always there. But can you bring a fight around people? Deep down inside, in the human psyche, we're all fighters. The ones that aren't fighters are the, pe- the people, it's hor- horrible to say it, but they're the ones that commit suicide because they can't cope with the realities of life. The ones that overcome things like that, they overcome depression, they all fight in their own little way. Everybody has got a fighter inside them. It's just knowing how to pull it out. I've had the quietest, calmest little guys that wouldn't say boo to a ghost. You know, I... One guy, he was an accountant. He looked like an accountant. When I cornered him at the tournaments, I'd actually whisper to him. Yeah? Yeah. Neil McLeod, I had to punch in the face. Yeah, there was another guy, Matt Twig. We used to call him Balls of Steel. We used to do shot punch. He was a big strapping lad. I slapped him around the face. That's what pushed their buttons. This other guy, I whispered in his ear. Because I think deep down inside... He was a serial fucking axe murderer. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. he was a real polite, real quiet little guy yeah. that wouldn't say boo to a ghost. But as long as you push the right buttons, that fighter come out of him. It got to one point. He he was actually walking home one day from training. Bearing in mind, he'd come and train with me. He didn't speak in my class for two years. I thought the guy couldn't speak English. He then started t- talking to my ex-wife, and the whole class just stopped me. Fuck me, you speak. He said, you speak English? He said, yes. I said, why haven't you spoken before? He said, well, I've never had anything important to say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so he's just that quiet little meek guy. As he's walking home, a couple of kids pulled a knife out of him and went, give us your money. He went, oh, don't be silly. Put that little pen knife away. He's very polite, very well English spoken. And they're looking at him really straight. He said, I know I was doing bad. I had my briefcase here. You know, I'm, he was accountant for the British Library. I've got my briefcase. Yeah. I would have hit that one with the briefcase and then I would have pulled my knife out, which is this one which was like a fucking mini sword and they would have died. <laughs> you know, so it's like everybody has a fighter in them. Just not everybody wants to admit it. That, that's but, a bit very yeah, deep. Yeah. But when they get pushed with their back against the wall, they'll fight. When they've got no other choice, they'll fight. Most people don't want to fight because society has bred them to say, look, no, fighting's bad. But it's not, because if you're willing to fight, then the chances are you won't anyway, because everybody knows it. They can read your body language. They can actually say, no, I'm not going to pick a fight with that guy, because he looks like he's going to enjoy himself. <laughs> you know, so the, a mugger will always pick a victim. They won't pick someone that's going to put up a fight and likely to bite their face off. So you've got to walk around with a body language, uh, still smiling, as if you think, well, I'm going to suck your eyeball out and... Blow it up your fucking arse and bite your face off just because it's funny. They'll leave you the fuck alone. <laughs> <Yeah>? <laughs> You've got to be a lunatic, yeah? Because everybody deep down is a lunatic. 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. And unfortunately, I see both track lunatics. Even guys in pink shirts with lime green, lime green underwear on. By the way, not that I'm saying he's sitting here in it, you know. But I'll, hey, I'll edit that bit out. Oyla, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got a bit, a bit sidetracked there, so I'm yeah. bring you back to the to the um, the Leicester group. So that'll be the beer. Couple of guys, <laughs> uh, Paul Stars, an Irish fella. What, what yeah. was your view on him? He, he got his black belt as well. Yeah, no, very good. How's he developed and evolved? Pikey boy, yeah, yeah. Come from an arrogant little fucking shit. When he come over and said, yes, me, I'm talking about when I'm training with the master. And I'm like, fuck, that winds me up. Don't call someone master in public. Fucking hell, you know, it's like, yeah, use a title for a promotion and all that. And that's coming from a grandmaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's call me Pat. You call me grandmaster, I'll punch you in the face. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. And like, you know, it's like, he's in awe of these people who've trained with so far, which is good, you know. But I've watched him develop into realising it's not about the people who's annoyed, it's about himself. His work rate has now tripled. He's gone from a little fat, unhealthy, little pikey boy. Sorry about that, but you know, he's a pikey. <laughs> yeah. To a reasonably fit, confident young man. Well, he's got a six pack now and he's, yeah, yeah, he's... he's uh... Yeah, and it's not beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then... Um... Our uh, senior statesman, the uh, lion, li- the lion, lion Lennart from uh, Sweden. How's he? Uh, how's he impressed you? Um, from someone that comes across as a very polite businessman, he's got a very, very dark Viking side to him. Me and him in the Philippines, we went to some places that a lot of people would be too scared to go to. Even the taxi driver was actually scared of. Us being around, like, and the locals were like, "Who the fuck are these?" You know, we actually found a bar in the Philippines called Eric the Red. In downtown Philippines, it was in a shit hole. Yeah, we had to go in. I'm there with a big Swede. We've got to go into a bar called Eric the Red. They said we're shut. I said, "No, you're fucking not. Get me four beers." So they did, <laughs> and they sent us to the bar next door, which we then proceed proceeded to terrify the locals in there till about seven o'clock in the morning come back really drunk Still and trained. then went training <laughs> like you know the guy's a workhorse the guy's a workhorse you know he broke his toe smashed his toe to pieces in training yeah didn't complain just kept going when you guys went canyoneering we walked up that fucking mountain with him and his broken toe because we refused to sit on the back of their motorbikes because they're all fucking lunatics. <laughs> Fuck it. We bought. We then found a little bamboo hut with a litre and a half bottles of beer looking at a big pig sunbathing under a hut while we're drinking this beer in the middle of the jungle. Now that's life, isn't it? Yeah. You know? And his attitude to training is like, he analyses everything. Mm. When I'm in the room with him, I've got to have my A game on because he'll come out with questions that nobody else would even think of. And I've got to have an answer for him. Because yeah, he's there to learn from me. So I've got to make sure I'm on the ball. So I'm knackered just thinking about what the fuck he's going to ask me next. <laughs> you know, so no, top man. I mean, the guy's 60. Yeah. I'd like to see some 19-year-olds to put the work rate in that he puts in. If they put the work rate in that he puts in, they'd probably be half good. Yeah. And all these ones that talk all this bullshit in the magazines, online, and all that, is like, I have fantastic everything. They worked half as good as him. They'd shut the fuck up and be really good. The guy is a demon. He's an absolute animal, but very polite too. And he's got a very dark side. But that's another story that me and him keep to ourselves. 
<laughs> and I, I don't know if there's anyone else you want to highlight, but, it, you know, we had a few girls who brought, trained with us and um, a couple of guys who got their brown belts who maybe you weren't a fan of at first, maybe won you over a little yeah, bit. Yeah, 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 yes, yes, all right, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's Dave. I always used to say there's no such thing as a stupid question. And he proved to me, yes, there is such a thing as a fucking stupid question. What did he ask you, Pat? He, uh, he turned around and said to me, if someone punched me in the face first and knocked me out, would this technique work? And I looked at him in total amazement for about 20 seconds and I went, no, because you knocked the fuck out. Of course it's not going to work. You know, it was the most stupid question I've ever fucking heard. But he's a lovable guy. Let's just say he's not the best looking guy in the world. Yeah, you know, if he looked in the mirror, the mirror would probably scream. But that guy is like a bait magnet. I watch him in nightclubs and just women come up to him. You know, he's not the full shilling. He just, fuck it. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I just get up and I dance. And these women are like, fuck, I love him. So <laughs> yeah. for that, I've got to admire him, you know. And yes, he will ask the most stupid questions at the most inappropriate times in front of people you shouldn't really be asking questions for. And even I've gone across the room going, shut up, Dave. It literally become the catchphrase of shut up, Dave. Yeah. You know, you're not supposed to ask that question in front of this guy at this point in time. But his work rate, he put work rate in. You know, and if you're going to put the work rate in, it don't matter if I think you're a twat. If you put the work rate in and you show the results, you're going to pass. And then, of course, there's my favourite guy, Omar. You know, he was Mr. Stand in the Corner. Let's talk about it. Uh, let's have an opinion on it, but actually not put it in. And he come across as being a badge collector. Yeah. And yeah, I thought, he's, yeah, he's had that rep. The one way. person I was going to watch on this trip, because I said, right, you've got to a certain level, which I was quite surprised that under someone else who got to this level and I'm thinking yeah. oh I don't think it was that good so I said right you don't do another grade until I see you you know and it just so happened he ended up in the Philippines a couple of years later because every time I went to London and trained he's standing up he'd have every excuse under the sun not to train I've been working all night I'm tired so what well, I've done that oh I've had a hard day yeah me too oh oh I, I, I've got a wife and kids they're giving me problems yeah, I've had three of those. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> like I've got the t shirt, got the book, made the fucking video. Yeah. You know, so to me there were just excuses not to actually actually get on the mat and work. And when he got there, I'll give him his due. He worked. And he worked. And we ripped the shit out of him and we took the piss out of him and he worked. And he worked. And yes, he talked bollocks sometimes, but he still worked and he worked. And he'd done enough work to actually past what he's doing but it's still a long journey up mm. yeah and I'll take my hat off to him and I was the first one to shake his hand I'm like well done you know I thought he was a twat and I still think he's a twat but he's put the work rate in yeah so why shouldn't he get it he's just got to keep it going though because if you don't keep it going I'll be the first one to punch him in the mouth <laughs> <laughs> And um, quick mention, I guess, for Andy. Andy organised the trip. You described him as being kind of your number two, potentially. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, John Bross has been training with me 25, 26 years. Yeah. Um, but John Bross has got his own thing going as well. And he's he is my top man. He probably knows more about me and what I do than anybody else. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get him on the show yeah. one of these days. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tri- I mean, the, guy, martial arts the guy's well. a legend, you know. Yeah. I mean... He knows a lot more than three or four instructors in this country combined. Yeah. You know, Serrata guy, excellent. Shoot fighter, excellent. BJJ guy, 
excellent. You know, he hasn't just talked it. He's gone out and actually done it. Yeah. You know, the first guy at the first Black Eagle meeting is the only one out of that group that's still active. Even I've retired for that because, you know, you get old, you get stupid. The bruises take longer to heal. Yeah. He's still active. The guy runs over mountains carrying tyres. You know, the guy's a lunatic. You know, and he doesn't look it, does he? He's, no. he's very... Uh, school teacher he looky. Yeah. yeah. Little round glasses, looks and talks like a school teacher. He used to be a school teacher. He's a classic example of that, be careful who you pick on. Yeah, sort of thing. yeah. He looks like a nice, gentle little guy thinking, oh, hello, how are you? Very polite, yeah. very well spoken. He would take your elbow, shove it up your ass and pull it through your fucking left ear and then tickle your tonsils with it and giggle while he's doing it. He is... The longest running guy. He is my right-hand man. He knows everything about the system inside out. But when it comes to organising it, Andy is my right-hand man. Andy is being groomed along with John Broster to take over the system when I'm sitting in my Zimmer frame going, when in my day, we used to hit each other. And they're like, shut up, you old fuck. (laughs) (laughs) They sit me in the corner and use me as a trophy. You know, he's, he's the next generation. He's a young guy. He's enthusiastic. His work rate is fucking phenomenal. So, yeah, yeah, you know, why not? You know, it doesn't go from father to son, father to son. It goes for the people that put in the hardest work. And his work rate is up there. You know, his, his, his black belt was harder than anybody else's. I don't care what anybody says. Mm. His black belt was harder than anybody else's. Except for the Philippines, because even we were all standing there watching you like, think, thank fuck we're not doing it here because it's too hot. <laughs> you know, and you have to do it for three days. And like... I think even I would have struggled with that one. Yeah. Even when I was in my prime, you know, so... But, yeah, no, he's work rate, and he's constantly working, 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 working. And, yeah, that's the sort of people that take it over. You know, because I've got to think realistically. 20 years' time, I'll probably be sitting in the corner fucked. If I'm lucky, 30 years' time. You know, unless I drop dead somewhere. You know, so people have got to be able to take it over. And he's of that age now that he can guarantee that it will go another 25, 30 years before he has to pass it on to someone else. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's honest about it. You know, it's not going to go to someone he's given birth to. It's going to go to someone who puts the work rate in. Yeah? And we'll have opposing opinions all the time. You know, we'll argue over shit. He'll be like, I don't think this should be done. I said, well, I'm, I'm in charge. I don't give a fuck. And he'll be like, no, you're wrong. And I'll actually accept his opinion. And we'll discuss it, and we'll discuss it, and we'll come to an agreement, and then we'll do what I tell him in the end anyway. But like, no, but you know what I mean? It's like, we come to an agreement. Yeah. You know, it's like, things are done for the group, not for the individual. And he's very good at actually organising that and making sure it all runs honest and fair. Yeah, because that's what it's all about. It's being honest with everybody, and it's being fair with everybody. And he's the one guy that can do it. Okay, all right, so, so the future's bright for Rapid Arnis. Um, any plans? Uh, don't forget, Andy, you owe me some money, send it via PayPal, or you've got my bank details. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's what's so future's bright? Um, like, what any plans to return to the Philippines? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all going back in January 2010, uh, 2020. And, and what might change between then and now? Everything. Maybe nothing. Who knows? <laughs> you know, it's like uh, things that change in rapid harness now are not down to me. What a few people say, like you get guys that run martial arts groups and they run it and things change because they want it to change. Mm. 
things change in Rapinales because all the other instructors want it to change. I don't grade the black belts anymore. The instructors grade the black belts. I watch the instructors grading them. And if they fuck up, I slap them. Yeah, so I'm keeping an eye on them while they're keeping an eye on you. And because I've given them shit on the way up, they make sure that shit rolls downhill and you get it on the way up. Which then means when you're on the panel, you make sure that shit rolls down to the next lot. It keeps the standard high. Yeah. Yeah, because then that way we don't have any favouritism. You know, you can't fail someone just because one person didn't like them. Yeah. You know, or you can't pass someone just because one person was shagging them in secret. It doesn't work like that. You get out on... And it, trust Which me, happens it does, all the time. It does happen all the time, yes. You know. But like, you get out on the mat, you earn your stripes in front of people that have had to earn their stripes. And they make sure you earn it. They put you through hell. And that's what it's all about. It's being honest and being fair with everybody. And that's what we're after. I think that's what makes us quite unique. Is I don't decide what rapid honest is going to be in 10 years' time. All the other guys decide it because it's their group, not mine. I just happen to be this ugly fucking ginger-headed figurehead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. They had to wear a yellow banana suit that he didn't want to wear. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Pat, it's, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Um, uh, you're now a grandmaster, reluctantly, but it's, yeah, something, yeah. it's something to be celebrated. And I think everyone that follows you are very happy for you, even if you you haven't, it hasn't, Fully dawned on you uh, what it means, yeah. GM, geriatric motherfucker. Exactly. Um, <laughs> thanks for your time. You've been listening to Primal Radio. Peace out. You have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.